Thunder Media. Barton Mora is an amazing racing driver who has dominated the world time attack at Sydney Motorsport Park for the past three years. We find out about that and more here on Inside Motorsport Today. I hope you'll stay with us. Welcome Inside Motorsports. Tony Whitlock and Craig Gravel, and we're joined by a man who has made his mark in this sport and this particular branch of motorsport. Barton Moore, congratulations on another win in the World Time Attack. Thanks, Tony. It uh, sounds good when you say it, that's for sure. <laughs> well, it's, it's even more impressive when you do it, mate, because um, Nat's four in a row, I understand. Yeah, that's right. Uh, four consecutive titles. So a couple years were not done through the uh, COVID um, period and um, technically classed as a, a world title, which uh, certainly bumps up the resume. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you've got a terrific resume already, so we might talk about that in a few minutes. But let's get back to World Time Attack. It's a unique branch of the sport in which the aim is to set as fast a time possible around, in this case, Sydney Motorsport Park, or Eastern Creek as it was known, and you've been doing it consistently, and you're now down into the 17s, is it? Yeah, we've really hit some big markers, you're right. And just to put a bit of an idea of the concept for the viewers and listeners who are more circuit racing orientated, it's like multiple qualifying sessions. So it's... um. A, uh, a super sprint on steroids, your single fastest lap over the event stands, um, and that is where the, the, the place getters are stood up. And it, I must admit, as a, a very uh, purist circuit racer, that the whole time attack scene was a bit of a mystery, and it wasn't until I really got involved in it, uh, actually competed many years ago in a little Lotus Exige GT3 car, that I got a taste of Time Attack, and then when I drove this uh, a crazy Porsche RP968, as it's known as, um, then we sort of got to uh, a competitive point of, of winning four events, but very different. And in fact, this uh, last event this year uh, had none other than Colin Bond come out to tour through the garage and talk to me and, and himself just get an idea of what all this fuss is about because it's – it's a strange mix uh, of, of sort of that sort of fast and furious crowd to the obviously a, a circuit racing. And then it's almost uh, got the explosiveness of drag racing. So it, it's, a, it's a very uh, unusual mix. How different is a time attack car to a, a race car that's in a competitive wheel to wheel type racing event? It's a good question. Time Attack over the years uh, has become uh, a, a one-lap wonder, and that's mainly due to the tyres we were running and to the extreme tuning that the motors are under. So we usually get a, a 10 or 15-minute session. So it's not physically down to only able to do a one-lap, but it, it's become that way just of the high-stress nature of what we're trying to achieve. So it's become more particularly the top end and the pro classes like I race in or compete in 
and, and it's become this sort of you know one lap hit and uh, to the to the point where the slogan of, of the event that they use on the social medias is is one perfect lap. And the cars or the vehicles that you're using, how much resemblance to perhaps the car that is listed in the program do they have? In the pro class, none. And part of the attraction or, or the lure of it is is how wild and extreme these cars have become. Um, they look more like a, an, an aeroplane or a spaceship than a car. And the car that I, I drive in, the Porsche, it, it was designated or started life as a 968. Little did it know what that car was in for. And basically it, it's been cut up and, and remodeled uh, to be the ultimate time attack car. Credit to Rod Pobostek, the owner. He's kept the, the silhouette of the 968 and to even the detriment of performance, tried to keep as much of the 968 in its look to the point where the engine is still a four-cylinder um, block, be it a billet aluminium block, but he kept the same uh, block dimensions and that kind of thing. But really there's not much left of the original car and of course you compete in engine size capacity it's not really just engine size it's um loosely based on uh the 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 car and basically there's a pro class which is pretty much an all-out affair has to keep the original um firewall some basic outside dimensions and a tire size and then the uh, lower level classes, I guess, have much more restriction to the level of down the lower classes are actually pretty much a production-based car. So in the event, there's multiple classes of which uh, I compete in the pro class and uh, obviously much less numbers in that sort of uh, high-end class. But the, the the other classes get really full grids and impressive uh, entry numbers. Of course, one of the fascinating things is with you and this particular Porsche, um, is that you've now got it four times in a row and each year you've been lowering this time. Now, uh, this latest time, um, a two-second two drop? Yeah, it was a massive drop um, and there was a couple of factors there. So we were tantalisingly close to the outright lap record um, and we can talk a little bit about that later too, but um, we had some... With the speeds we're going and the lap times we're getting down to, we were starting to get tyre failures. And it was only because the the what we're putting, the, the semi-slick tyre that we we're running on, and a fantastic tyre at that, the Yokohama AO50, was just way over its intended use. And so we were struggling actually to do one lap in condition. So I'd literally go out on my out lap. <clears throat> I wouldn't even put much energy into the tyre. I would just drive around, warm up the brakes, and then bang, do a lap. And we were struggling to 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 finish the lap. So they opened up the tyres to go to a slick tyre and we still chose the Yokohama tyre. But the slick tyre then gave us a wider window of of to do uh, more than one lap. So we didn't get a massive jump in the speed just going to a slick, um, which a lot of people thought would happen, but the window opened up. And also we developed the car and we actually improved a lot in the braking zone. So part tyre, part braking, but you're right, we've been peeling off time uh, ever since this car hit the circuit. Um, the interesting thing is, um, 
and I know you do a lot of driver training. Um, you're involved in Radicals and Wests and those sorts of cars, very nifty little sports cars. Um, what impact does driving this sort of car have on your other driving? I mean, you obviously have to drive this in a different manner, I would assume. You do. I've been lucky enough to drive some pretty fast and particularly in open wheeler side of things, Formula 3 and Formula Atlantic and A1GP. And it's more like a um, big, heavy open wheeler. Um, but surprisingly, like you say, I, I do a lot in the radicals and the, the sort of sports car field. And it's only a big version of that sort of car to drive, to be honest. Um and I've driven it now enough years that even though we don't get much running in the car and many laps, I am pretty comfortable in the car. Okay. Because um, that's one of the other things is you only get one chance a year at this, don't you? Do you do, you do any testing during the year? No, we don't. And it, it's the scary thing with this car, I, I keep saying, is it's not how fast it is, it's how fast it could still go. And um, even now how much more speed's in it. We don't have the budget for a testing program. We're usually um, finishing the car up just prior to the event, maybe doing a shakedown run and then testing through the event. And um, that obviously has all the risk attached to it of, of, of the car making it to the end, which we haven't always been able to do. So, um, no, uh, as a driver, you always want to do more laps, but particularly in time attack, you don't have that luxury. Okay. Now you've you've had the luxury, so to speak, of having some international competitors, both Americans and Japanese, I understand. Yeah, the the whole time attack concept was born in Japan, so it's very strong over there. Um America has has taken a shine to it. Um but due to Ian Baker and his World Time Attack team, the Sydney Nashville Park event has sort of been labeled as World Time Attack, but really is a standout now internationally. Um as the, the, the top event uh, on the calendar for Time Attack. Off the back of the last win, uh, we've had renewed interest from America for their Super Lap Battle down at Coda, Circuit of the Americas, to take the car there. So we're now mapping that out and, and we'll have a bit of a campaign to take the car to America and, and take them on and, and see if we can um, win the title over there. Well, that, that's fantastic. Having been to uh, that Cirque of the Americas, it's uh, an amazing venue, obviously a Formula One venue. Maybe a little background on it. Um, when supercars went there, and I think it was about 2013, when they went there, part of um, that circuit getting its FIA Formula One accreditation, they had to hold two international meetings beforehand. Guess what? Supercars is one of those two. Superbikes was the other one. So that's how V8's got to race around uh, America, uh, Circuit of the Americas. Um, it's an amazing venue. Um, Craig also came over there for that trip. Um, you'd think it was one of the best tracks you've been to, Craig? It was a very enjoyable track. And not. I've been to some really cool speedways around the world. So I wouldn't say it was the best track I've been to. Barton, you are in a interesting position where you committed to the S5000 series right when it was announced. I'm wondering your thoughts on what's happened to S5000 since that time. 
Oh, it's just so sad, isn't it, Craig? I, I'm a, I'm a open wheeler man at heart. My father constructed open wheelers and ran a former Holden team. It just felt like we had a, a a chance to have a mature open wheeler category again. And I was at on the grid at, at that um, the day at Albert Park, um, 2020. We we're about to roll out for the first race. Qualifying was done. It was a massive field, 20 plus cars a stack of XF1 drivers, a hot talent from Australia, and and COVID hit. There was a, a flu going around, and they wouldn't let us race. And and it it hurt a lot of areas of our sport, but S5000 as a category, I think, really copped it hard. And, and to be honest, I just don't think it's recovered to the point where my drive, um, our main backer, you know, once the whole COVID thing got out and going out of the way and S5000 got going again he'd lost interest moved on in life and and I think that summed it up where it, it just lost that critical momentum I, I don't agree with the concept of the cars I, I think a colour that deserves to have a level of downforce and grip um, but that aside it, it's just stagnated and I find it very sad and I, I wish it wasn't so but it's not looking good is it? It's in an interesting position and what was your take from driving those cars? Because as you as you mentioned, you've driven very high level formula cars and open wheel cars. What did you think when you did have those practice sessions and qualifying that the future might have been? Oh, it, it was always going to be. I know it was going to be difficult. We know the 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 appetite for open wheelers in this country is just diminishing over time. Um, and being an off-step open wheeler category, I always thought it's going to be hard to make it sell it to you know, young drivers wanting to go overseas or overseas drivers coming back here. Um, but I, I think the concept of the car itself with not having the rear floor or diffuser and the tyre was just unseasonably hard uh, for the car. I think that it was just too brutal to entice any amateur style drivers or, or beginners. And uh, I just just sat in a really awkward and narrow band. It was, was my initial fear and still is. And did you enjoy driving it? Like it's a fast open wheel. Of course, I enjoyed driving it. But um, it started poorly for us. We, we had a crash on the first day and it was because of the brutality of the car. And they since fixed a lot of those issues, but it was all, it just felt like they were catching up. Um, and uh, I've enjoyed driving open, other open wheelers more. Uh, but I've got a bit of hope with, not for, for my career, but the, the F4s being rebirthed here. I, I think the way it's been rolled out, um, I'm pretty close to AGI. I see what's happening around the place. And I think there's hope with what that can become for the young drivers, but It'll only be a, a, another a nail in the coffin for S5000, I fear. Um, one of the things I remember so vividly from uh, talking with Tim Macro moments after he'd finished that first race, I think, was Sandown. And uh, I remember uh, enormously, Bart, the, the, the first thing that, that uh, Tim had said to me um, how hard is it to drive? Oh, they're bloody difficult to drive hard at speed. And I was so enthused by that because the last thing we need is a category where, you know, I don't mean to be rude about them, but, you know, older men can buy, have the money to go and buy them because we need this as development cars. We need, 
you know, somewhere where, you know, kids, not like yourself, but younger ones can get in these cars and drive them. And knowing it was difficult made it all the more impressive. Yeah, look, I know what you're saying, Tony. I just think they went a bit too far. You know, uh, the cars were dangerous in, in certain situations and 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 I, I think they just tried to go too far. It didn't make the racing any better. That was one theory and I didn't see any proof of that. I agree with you. I'm not shy of driving a difficult car or, or, or having, you know, difficulty there to sort out the best drivers, but I just think they went too far on that criteria. Well, that, that's one thing, of course. It's been some time since you were in the cars, and what they have done now is give them a new tyre with more grip. And I think that from all I've heard um, and spoken to, to guys like Aaron Cameron and uh, Cooper Webster is that the car does behave differently on that new tyre. So, you know, in the development of the category, maybe that should have come earlier. Yeah. You know, it should have been rolled out earlier. Um, I just, it's hard for it to recover, and I, I, I hope it does. I hope they can find something to get its mojo back, but it just doesn't look promising, does it? Indeed. Anyway, let's talk about Time Attack. When is this Circuit of the Americas event happening? Well, it's a bit awkward timing, so it's March, so we're not going to make this uh, 2024 one. We're deliberately mapping out 2025, which seems like a long way away, but it'll allow us to actually build some content, have a little road to America content around that, and just try to have a bit more of a story around the car and try to get it a bit more, uh, you know, its own social media platform and hopefully a bit of support. Uh, Rod, the owner, has done it all out of his own back pocket, which has been amazing but he deserves uh, a little bit more support now financially and, and, and just it, it deserves it. It's a good story there for um, the right companies to be involved. So we're just trying to have a bit of longevity about it and sustainability so it won't be just a, a once-over trip and not just for us, even other competitors or we can um, all pile into one or two containers and, and encourage a bit more transfer of car and drivers from America and Australia and back and forth. Indeed. Well, we'll certainly follow it. Um, and uh, obviously there are the usual uh, Facebook and things like that. Can you give us any clues on where we can go looking to find out what the development of this team and the, your car? Well, yeah, we're a bit behind on the social medias, to be honest. So we're about to work on a, a website and, and, and that sort of thing. But RP968, um, attached to a lot of the World Time Attack um website and social medias they they really um push it hard and and people who want to know a bit more about it um probably advise them to have a look there and barton as well as uh, well putting up and uh, putting up the results inside the car you've been helping coach and bring through people who want to learn more about car craft and about how to become a better driver I have. It's it's my um, uh, career and job now is, is driver coaching, which I really enjoy. And it seems sort of the top and um, what well, the top uh, race driver coaching is is an area that I uh, excel at and, and enjoy doing. So I've got clients from uh, Radical Cup to um, Porsche Career Career Cup, Sprint Cup Challenge, GTs, and everything in between, and. With the advancements of data loggers and onboard cameras, you can really extract a lot 
and um and, and it's a good chance for me to get in the car and lay down some datum laps and then work with the driver and 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 help them get the best out of themselves which is immensely satisfying um and it it keeps delaying me having to do a real job and i know it's one thing that tony you've always talked about it's the fact that every other sport will have you know multiple coaches in some instances for the athlete but motorsport it's it's almost um seen as a weakness to have a coach who's helping extract the best performance out of you bun yeah it's a, it's a funny one isn't it? it it seems particularly strong in australia um this kind of uh, attitude of well i can drive um and and you're right yeah the top tennis players and golfers have coaches and some of those coaches might not even be able to play better than those obviously but um we seem to have this reluctance in this country for that i think it's 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 opening up a little bit in the sort of national level uh racing um but uh of course it's important um and well, I, I can just see from the clients i work with the results and the improvements they get but uh yeah it's a bit of a slow one to catch on I, I'm sure you'd know well of Rob Wilson. Um, I've only met him once very briefly. But um, I do remember back in the day, I actually broke the news that Paul Dumbrell was going to be attending, to which came a lot of, uh, uh, you know, sort of fairly negative attitudes from a lot of the people around the V8 supercar paddock. Um, he was driving for Larry at the time. He certainly went off and... Uh, and did the same as I'm sure you'd be aware that just driving around in, in road cars on a track and just concentrating on, on how you go about getting speed. Um, fascinating sort of subject, I know. Um, all the very best, Bart. We, we certainly look forward to following you more and uh, uh, following um, the, the success of, of your uh, drives in World Time Attack and look forward to actually catching up in person. Please send your, my regards to your parents. Um, uh, they're a delightful couple and uh, I know they've played a very large part in your career. Yeah, they have and uh, I will pass that on. So uh, thanks, guys, and uh, let's chat again soon. Indeed. Thank you, Barton Moore, on World Time Attack Success. Till next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Motorsport is produced by Thunder Media for the Community Radio Network.